Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker here to tell you that the Stat Sheet Podcast is presented by Boxscore Network. Boxscore Network is your one-stop shop for all things NFL podcasts. You want game analysis, betting lines, hot takes, or fantasy advice? Well, check out Boxscore Network and follow Boxscore Network on Twitter at Score Network for updates. All right, everybody, welcome back into the Stat Sheet Podcast. It is such a privilege, privilege and pleasure, if I could just just go ahead and hybrid two words there. We appreciate all of you being back with us. (laughs) What would you say, Simon? You got it. Yeah, just make up words. It's after midnight as we record. You can do whatever you want. It is. We've been treated to a double dose of Monday Night Football here. We enjoyed both games. Uh, Lots to talk about. The entire weekend, really, week two of the NFL. We are unbelievably excited to have football finally back. Um, and it's week two, and it's going by too fast. I feel like these first two weeks were just gone in a blink, but we are loving it. We have so much to cover. Simon with us as always, Ronan with us as always. Let's get it underway. Steelers and the Browns. Simon, I'm going to give you the honors first, man. Take it away. Uh, Wow. So your classic AFC North just bloodbath of a game, Uh, 26-22 to 22 final score. Pittsburgh taking the win. In a game that had more turnovers than first downs, it feels like that's probably not true. Um, But if you add in some sacks and some horrible throws and some botched plays, more mistakes than purposeful uh, and intentional offensive yardage in this one. So classic AFC North game. Do want to start with a couple key injuries coming out of this one. First, obviously, foremost, Nick Chubb um, going down with a knee injury that... Uh, if you were listening to the broadcast, uh, Troy Aikman and, um, oh gosh, uh, Joe Buck. Buck, thank you, uh, just were sullen as they relayed the information that we would not be seeing the replays on ESPN for the Nick Chubb knee injury. Um, his season, I don't think it's been officially called yet, but I think Stefanski even has said that, um, oh yeah, here we go from Schefter, uh, Stefanski told reporters that he expects Nick Chubb to be out for the season with a significant knee injury. Uh, one of those things that everyone just kind of knew as soon as it happened. The, you could hear on the broadcast in Acrisure Stadium the Steelers fans gasp when the the replay was shown. Um, it just obviously, you know, thoughts to Nick Chubb uh, getting through this injury and through a uh, hopefully uh, good rehab process. Hate to see one of the best players in the NFL go down with an injury for sure, um, especially one that it, uh, we don't really know anything yet, uh, but it feels like one of the uh, – it could be pretty nasty. Um, also, shout out to Schefter for just a horrible tweet of referencing the all the major knee injury that Chubb had in the knee in 2015 and listing all the things wrong with his knee and then saying that that was the injury in 2015. Um Come on, come on, Shifter. Let's let's get some syntax going. Let's let's order these tweets a little better for everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, Minka Fitzpatrick also went down with an injury. He went down a couple times, chest injuries, getting evaluated um, in Pittsburgh at a local hospital. So we will continue to monitor that as well. But just, I mean, bloodbath of a game. I have a couple notes here, guys. But Ronan, let me throw it over to you first. You got to check it out after uh, the other Monday night game was done. But what were your thoughts on Pittsburgh and Cleveland? God, man, it was all defense. Pittsburgh, two defensive touchdowns. 
Uh, looking at the numbers here, six sacks, 11 quarterback hits. Um, Deshaun Watson, albeit he was honestly kind of elusive in the pocket tonight. I mean, there were a couple of times where he was shoving his fingers into the face mask of the Pittsburgh defenders, which I don't know the last time I've seen a quarterback or in two face masks in a game, but uh, Pittsburgh defense was all over it tonight. Um, ben, what were your thoughts? Yeah, there's so much to talk about with this game. We could spend an entire podcast on it, but really quickly, I'll start with Deshaun Watson. You mentioned him. He doesn't look bad, but he looks nothing like the Watson we saw from three and four years ago. So here in our first two-game sample here for 2023, he looks a lot closer to the Watson we saw last year, which is still rusty and limited, I mean, as far as I'm concerned. Now, the elusiveness in the pocket is totally there, 100% agree. And he did make a couple of just valiant stalwart throws that really, you know, maybe only 10 or 12 guys in the league can consistently make. But just generally on the whole, two weeks in here, I, I haven't seen anything yet that's going to keep defensive coordinators up at night. I mean, seriously. So, you know, that's my first thought here, Ronan. Ben, I think you're on to something because on that final drive, right, Deshaun needs a touchdown here. I wasn't on the edge of my seat, truthfully. I, I really wasn't all – if I were, you know, a Pittsburgh fan, which – you know, not to pick sides, but I was kind of rooting for Pittsburgh for my guy Simon here. Uh, yeah, I wasn't on the edge of my seat, you know, scared to death. Oh, no, Deshaun Watson's got the ball. Honestly, I was just sitting back like, I think Pittsburgh's de defense, they've got it. Um, they've been all over him all night, Simon. Um, did How did you feel on that final drive or those last couple drives? Oh man, how did I feel? I felt a lot of things, Ronan. I felt a lot of things. Uh, but like you, and if if I were to take the the fandom part of me out, as I like to try and do when we come onto this podcast, yeah, it wasn't something you were really worried about because the Browns had not really been able to move the ball once Nick Chubb went out of the game, and Pittsburgh. Uh, special team shout out Presley Harvin I think probably the best game of his career the punter uh, for people that don't just know who Presley Harvin is um, putting Cleveland in situations where they really had to drive down the field for in big big chunks so there were plenty of plays in this one where the Browns would break off a 15 or 20 yard play and they were still in their own territory and and usually that's a death nail for for any team um, let alone a team like Pittsburgh whose offense can't really create a ton of those plays themselves. So the fact that Cleveland had to create so many long drives for scores, especially in the second half and especially without Nick Chubb, yeah, you're, you're sitting there as watching the Steelers' defense pretty much dominate the whole game, and yeah, you weren't too concerned. I will say Watson's ability to – I think the one thing that – Watson was still showing an ability, a, a solid ability to do in this one was the escapability, scramble around a little bit and extend the play. Um, we weren't really worried about it creating into a an explosive run by him or an explosive pass, but just the fact that he could take something that looked like a five yard sack and turn it into even an eight yard positive play, right on, on a nice pass or a nice run. Um, is the one thing you're concerned about, but when you have to, you can't do that consistently against a really good defense all the way down the field every time. Um, so, so on to Sean Watson. And that was my thing for this Cleveland Browns team. Like Ben said, it's still early one and one. Um, I want to flip it over to their defense though, because I forget if it was, I think it was on the spot. I said this for Cleveland, if they were going to make the jump this year, 
one of two things was going to have to happen. Deshaun Watson was either going to have to take a leap back into top 10-ish, top 12-ish quarterback range in the league, or this defense and the additions they've made between defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz, uh, defensive lineman Dalvin Tomlinson, linebacker Zadarius Smith, were going to have to yield results into the Browns going from a bottom 10 defense last year to a legitimate above average. And I think they did that, man. This defense is legit. This defensive line is just huge. It's fast. It's suffocating. Um, And and those DBs uh, with Denzel Ward leading the way have always been solid, and they just continue to add good pieces. Greg Newsom, uh, Martin Emerson, Greg Delpit is in with Juan Thornhill Hurt, and he was playing really well. Just uh, this Cleveland defense, guys, is legit. I I think it is going to pretty solidly be a top half of the league defense um, with Jim Schwartz leading the way. Ben, anything from Cleveland's defense stand out to you? Well, you're 100% right. That defensive front line is is starting to show, show the eliteness, and the backfield for the defense has always been good. So mm-hmm. how good can this this defense be? I don't know. There's a lot of good defenses out there, all right, from the Cowboys to the 49ers to even the, the Eagles, if they keep showing back up the way they did last year. They haven't shown it so much this year. The Patriots, I mean, I could go on and on down the list here. But there's starting to be a big difference between the haves and the have-nots on defense in this league. There's a lot of lousy defenses out there, and then there's a lot they're they're like, well, we think we can be elite because we're just so good, the Jets even. Um, the Browns are up there somewhere. Does that mean they're seventh or eighth? I don't know. But they're up there somewhere in that top ten mix, I think, from what we've seen in two games. And, and I'll even add on to it here for the Steelers. The Steelers haven't looked good in two weeks. I mean, they haven't, all right? They, they just haven't. But – here in two weeks, they've also played maybe maybe the hardest schedule of two weeks of anybody. You know, you start off with the 49ers, and then you have a Browns team that doesn't appear to have any weaknesses. Now, you could even make the argument that Deshaun Watson might be the weakness at this point of this Browns team. I mean, because the offensive line is really good, even with the major you know injury they had, and the mm-hmm. running backs were good before Chubb went down. So we'll see about that. But before tonight, you can make the argument with, with Watson being the weakness. So Steelers haven't looked good. But they had an awful tough schedule. They're one and one. They move on. And this Browns defense does look legit. But still, you get the feeling are the Browns actually going to have enough edges and enough games here to actually pick up enough wins to make the playoffs. I'm still a little bit skeptical on that side of it. But the defense looks really good. And now without Chubb, it just has to be even better. It went from that marker I, I said being top right. half. It, it has to be top 10 now if it's going to survive because this offense – Either it's going to lean more to Watson and all these receivers they've added, and in Watson's, what, six games for Cleveland has not shown that he is going to be that kind of guy. And unless somebody that they you know go out and get as a running back can (laughs) equate to Nick Chubb, which there's maybe two dudes out there in the league right now that can do that. But I will say Jerome Ford uh, was the backup, 16 carries, 106 yards. He broke off a a 69-yard run. He had a couple – he had three receptions for 25 yards and touchdown as well. I mean, he is he is good. He is legit. So, uh, but he's not Nick Chubb, um, obviously. And, and so the defense is going to have to be even better to the Steelers. I could sit here and say so many things and uh, interest maybe 10% of our listeners with going in-depth on the Steelers. I won't do that. Um, follow me on Twitter for all of my intense rambling Steelers thoughts uh, at Simon underscore short. But – The one thing I do want to say and point out, because we talked about the Steelers offense 
We saw what they did in preseason, explosive plays, right? It looked easy, all this stuff. What is different? What is What has happened from preseason to now? This is something I've been tracking over, over these two games. The Everyone on Twitter, including myself, yelling about Matt Canada, rightfully so. Everyone's yelling about Kenny Pickett and the accuracy issues, rightfully so. One's yelling about the offensive line. I'll, let me watch the All-22 on this game, but these defensive lines are just really, really good. Uh, but here's the main issue. Two straight games, Pittsburgh Steelers opening drives have been three pass plays in a, all three and three and three and outs the next drive all right second drive for pittsburgh steelers five of the six plays have been pass plays this team isn't built to do this man they're they're just not everything that we said about their off season their moves the moves that they made screamed okay this team is zacking this is a tennessee titans a who else is winning with the run? Atlanta Falcons-esque style. We're going to run first. Yeah, I snuck in the Falcons. I did it. Uh, we're going to run first, and then we're going to create some pass plays out of that. Kenny Pickett and, and this offense is not built to be pass first, drop back, shotgun, spread them out. It's not going to succeed that way. I, I think I said the ceiling was a top 12 offense. If they execute what they do, and right now they're not being what they should be and they're not executing and the offense looks horrible. Uh, Ronan, any, any thoughts by you on, on the Steelers offense before we um, kind of wrap this game up? You know, I, I do want to throw a positive in there. Um, oh, thanks. A guy by the name of George Pickens, right? Four receptions, oh 127 yards, a touchdown. The dude is legit. Um, huge run after the catch of, uh, I believe, what, 71, 71? 71 total, um, yeah, probably like 65 yards yak, something yeah. crazy like that. Mm -hmm. He's he's legit, guys. That dude is legit, and I think you might have just found you. Not just, because I think you might have known this, at least maybe at the end of last year, some around there. You might have your wide receiver one, Simon, there in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, and we, we should mention, I'll go ahead and just mention this here. Deontay Johnson was put on IR today, um, Monday, uh, for the hamstring injury that he suffered last week in the game against the 49ers. So Pickens is going to have to continue to do this, but that's a great point, Ronan. Him him and Kenny Pickett seemed to really that seven that big touchdown pass really seemed to create a rhythm and a confidence between the two of them because they then have three more catches for a total of uh, 56 yards, I think something like that. He was finding them in the middle of the field, finding them on key downs. Um they're they're starting to kind of find that connection. You can feel that a little bit. So if they can continue that momentum and then Deontay comes back halfway through, you know, not halfway through the year, but, you know, in four or five weeks or so, um, that could really help this offense. But again, it, if the first play of the Steelers game next week, guys, is is a shotgun pass play and then followed by a like outside zone run for Najee Harris, I'm going to I'm going to lose my hair. I'm going to I'm going to lose my hair. I, I, um, I want to say uh, on Kenny Pickett here. Um, Kenny Pickett hasn't looked good so far, but I, to me, he reminds me of like a three-point shooter in the NBA. I think the nature of his play is always going to be hot and streaky. I think we're going to see times in his career where he's going to go on four and six-week stretches where he's just on fire and untouchable. And I think you're going to see other stretches, two to four weeks, um, where he's kind of hit and miss, where he's surviving but not thriving. I think that's always going to be his DNA kind of seems to be one of the things that I think will keep him out of, say, top five, top ten status most of his career. But still, I think above average is eventually where he's going to end up. 
Um, very much a rhythm kind of guy. And the running game is going to help that, not hurt that. You're right, Simon. You start with the running and you expand it from there and then you let him start working his accuracy. Now the pressure's off of him in the windows and then you start letting him throw the 50-50 balls to Pickens and Deontay Johnson. That's the way to work it. And I haven't done that yet. I don't know why. And and here's the thing, you know, Ben, those, those are incredible points because once that pass and touchdown to Pickens happened, the pressure let off, right? He's got to prove and the offense has to prove that it can make you pay for having nine or 10 dudes even in the box. And uh, once you do that, it opens things up because things were much easier on, on Pickett after that. Not easy by any means. The Browns defense still obviously had a, had a good second half, a good rest of the game. But that was the turning point of, okay, we can't just load up and, and put the pressure on every single time. So that will be key for for Pickett the rest of the season and for however many games he has. That That is for sure on that. Uh, anything else for you guys on this game, Steelers-Browns? Yeah, one other shout-out to, to one Simon Shore. Every time uh, Jerome Ford touched the ball tonight and every time Tony Jones, the running back for the Saints, touched the ball tonight, I can hear Simon saying, don't spend a lot of money on running backs and don't draft running backs in those middle rounds. You can pick them up in the fives and in the undrafted regions. So uh, there you go. Uh, you're you're going to make me do this. Steelers Nation, I know will love this. Um, Najee Harris, 10 carries for 43 yards. Jalen Warren, six catches for – or six carries for 20 yards. Not great on either end. But Jalen Warren, four catches for 66 yards, including a 30-yard uh, run or catch and run. Najee Harris, one catch for zero yards. Uh, one's a first-round pick. One is undrafted. I will let you, the listener, determine which <laughs> is – which all right ben and ronan i'm gonna kick it to you guys for this because i didn't watch a lick of this other game on monday night except for the inexplicable split screen that the abc stream gave me uh which was just espn abc uh, just shame on you man i'm sorry you regret putting afc north and nfc south on as your doubleheader on monday night but don't don't disrespect me and the people at home with a split screen during the game. I I didn't sign up for that. I don't want that. Um, so, Ben, I'm going to kick it to you first. Run us through this uh, Saints-Panthers game. Saints beat the Panthers 20-17, uh, to 17, I believe, is the score. I barely even know. Um, just walk us through what happened in that game. Yeah, so there's so much to unpack here. We'll try to keep it brief, though. First of all, another defensive struggle. Both defenses showed up today. Both offenses struggled. No question about it. The Saints defense in particular looks solid. Now, again, you know, Mike Tyson, I'll go back to the Mike Tyson line. Everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the face. Saints defense hasn't been punched in the face yet this season, but they looked very good. The defensive line, which which was kind of a remake, was really kind of um, giving the Panthers some problems tonight. So, again, there's that Panthers offensive line that is struggling. But defensive battle, both defenses look good. The, the Saints offense really started finding some good rhythm in the second half, and then the Panthers made a couple of big plays to keep the game close. So that's kind of the outlay of what really happened. Ronan, go ahead and pick up with wherever you want to start at, and then we'll kind of unpack some other things. Ben, you explained it right exactly how I would have uh, had Simon pass it to me. Um, really the only other thing I'd add on to it, Chris Olave, 11 targets, six receptions, 86 yards. I mean – he entered, he got onto the Saints, right? And we were all thinking, you know, he might be like a pretty solid number two. He might just be like their number one for the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, 
he's been phenomenal so far this year. And then Michael Thomas has been getting looks too. I know Simon. 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 I, 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 fair enough. Seven, seven receptions, 55 yards. He averaged 7.9 receptions. So nothing crazy, but he was targeted nine times. So Mm. between Olave and Thomas, that's 20 targets guys uh, from Derek Carr getting comfortable from his top two pass catchers, Ben. Yeah, I'm going to run through several things here. And, and y'all, Simon, I'll let you pick up wherever you want to. Saints offensive line uh, gets very well paid. We even talked about it last week, them adding on another. Uh, Cesar Ruiz. Mm-hmm. But that's not the first time. They've been doing this for years. But the Saints offensive line has been kind of mediocre for years. Now, listen, there's talent there, but there's injuries, the inconsistency. They, they, they have not pass protected well consistently for a while and yet they continue to pour money into it. They weren't good tonight. It, it, Brian Burns was a big problem, but it wasn't just Burns. You know, there were other guys getting there. Burns was kind of flushing everybody, flushing the quarterbacks out for everybody else to pick up the sacks. But the offensive line still continues to struggle to pass protect in spite of the fact that they've got a lot of money poured in there. We've seen that for a couple of years now with the Saints. i uh, see if that continues to be a problem or not. Um Really difficult to evaluate Bryce Young tonight because he's up against a good defense. What really stood out, though, um, was that in the next Panthers offseason, they need to add a good tight end and a good wide receiver. They're not horrible now, but nobody stands out. There's no difference makers. And they know that. They knew that. We knew that heading into the season. But, again, just a reminder, next offseason, don't wait until two years from now, but make sure you check those boxes of getting Bryce Young, a good wide receiver, and a good tight end, something to make a difference there to to kind of shake up defenses because tonight they really had nothing to, to do that at all. So, um, Simon, I'll kick it to you and take it wherever you want, man. Yeah, for, for the Panthers and, and the, the pass catchers, we talked about over the offseason that it was good that they just brought in, like, solid veteran players mm-hmm. that were going to be in the right place and do the right thing, yada, yada. Right. Remember the Matrix episode, right? That's offseason brain. That's, hey, you're going to get a decent evaluation on your quarterback, Bryce Young, right? Because you're going to know, okay, this guy was there, and he threw it there, and that's what was supposed to happen. Yada, yada. Um, the thing that we never really got around to in, in end of July, early August for that was it's not going to translate to a lot of wins. Um, and with the Panthers' offensive line dealing with injuries, uh, starting a mid-round rookie, Chandler Zavala, in place of Austin Corbett, who's on IR or on PUP. I forget which one he ended up on. And then Braden Christensen going down on his season being over at left guard. Um, this offense is going to continue to struggle, and it might make it difficult to evaluate Bryce Young as we go. Mm-hmm. But the main thing for the Panthers is that these pieces on defense keep falling off, right? And, and uh, Shaq Thompson uh, – uh, gets hurt today. He has an ankle injury. He's likely out for the season. This is on the heels of JC Horn. Um, I think he went to IR with a soft tissue injury over the course of the week uh, that we didn't get to talk about last week on the pod. So if this defense, if these defensive pieces are going to keep kind of falling off and this offense is going to continue to struggle, this is going to be kind of a tough season for for the Panthers. And you just got to hope that long-term Bryce Young is the right guy for it, Ronan. I think you're exactly right. Um, I, I view this year kind of as a trial by fire year for Bryce Young, um, because yes, they brought in guys who you know will be in the right spots for him to hit, uh, but like you said, they don't have any true playmakers. Um, so you know, it, it would be really cool to imagine a world where Bryce Young has a CMC or a DJ Moore 
um, to kind of help him, you know, navigate through his rookie year. But, you know, he's got Adam Thielen and Miles Sanders, and that's no knock because they're, you know, pretty viable players, right? But, you know, it's not like we were talking about, you know, number ones. It's not a George Pickens. It's not a Chris Olave. So, you know, th that's something, Ben, I think you're completely right. They need to get ASAP. Um, Simon, you mentioned Shaq Thompson going out. Another guy who went out, Jamal Williams, uh, for the Saints, went out with a hamstring injury. But the Saints running game didn't necessarily hinder all that much. Uh, Jamal Williams left the game. He had nine carries for 29 yards. Uh, backup Tony Jones Jr. had 12 carries for 34 yards. So he didn't put up a ton of production yard-wise, but he had two touchdowns. So I think a little bit evens out a little bit. Uh, but Taysom Hill led the way, obviously, because it's the Saints offense uh, rushing with nine carries for 75 yards. So that's something to keep an eye on if Williams is out for a long time. Keandre Miller already was inactive tonight. Uh, they got Kamara on suspension at least till next week. So running game, we might just see Taysom Hill line up at running back, guys, uh, just right, right there next to Derek Carr. Ben, what do you think about uh, New Orleans rushing game tonight and just you know, any other thoughts about tonight? Yeah, listen, the, the Panthers are still a good defense, even though they're dropping people off. But you're right. The the Saints rushing attack, They in the second half, when they figured out they weren't going to be able to do what they wanted to do in the first half, when they finally figured that out, they moved off of that. They started getting really creative with some of these runs, and then that started to kind of open up things. And then that allowed Derek Carr, who, again, didn't have a great night, but he had a couple of big plays to big receivers where he was deadly on target and that kind of shook things up. And then they were able to go back in and pick up tough yardage with guys like Jones, but getting creative with somebody like Taysom Hill out there in the, in the flats with some of the stuff, some of the pitches and stuff that was just enough to kind of get them to move the ball and score. Whereas the Panthers struggled to score. And that was the difference in the game tonight. The Panthers, anytime they play a top defense, they're going to struggle this year until young finds his rhythm. But, Still, everything we said in the offseason will hold true. When they play mediocre defenses or bad defenses, he's going to find some rhythm, he's going to make some plays, and they're going to score some points. So there are better days ahead for the Panthers this year where they won't be up against such a stacked veteran defense, and they will get they will get a chance to score more points and win some of these games. But this is really not a good setup here for, for Bryce Young at this time tonight against a defense like this, second game of the year. Um, endless night. I'll say this too. I've seen a lot in the first two weeks of the Panthers struggling to get the ball snapped in time. And you say, well, it's a rookie quarterback. That's not unusual. That's true. But part of that seems to be, and I'm not sure where it is, that still means something good isn't going on. Either they're not getting the play into him in time because they're struggling as a new staff to get their act together, or it means they're giving him too much to think about before the snap. One or the other, something needs to change there. Whether And listen, I know he's brilliant. I know he can process like very few rookies can. I got that. But they either need to make it more simple for him because as a rookie, everything's just fast, 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 man. It's the NFL. Everything is just fast. They either need to start simplifying it for him early on in the season and then spread it out, or they need to get the play in quicker, one or the other, because it has been a consistent problem here for two weeks now for Carolina. Simon, anything? Yeah, I want to ask. Uh, I want to ask you guys based on watching this game. Now we're all relatively high on the Saints going into the season. Uh, I know I had them as a you know like wild card, ten win, competing for the division team. Or I think you're about the same, Ben. You were even higher on the Saints. Yeah. yeah. And and Ben, I'll I'll kick this to you first because I know you you've caught I believe both Saints games pretty in depth. Um, 
through two weeks, are you seeing what you expect from New Orleans? I know they're two and zero, but are you seeing anything that makes you concerned for you know the good vibes that we had for New Orleans? Or are you seeing what you expected? Everything looks pretty good to go for them. It's been a little ugly, to be honest. Okay, um, now truthfully, that front line of, of the defense has been a little better than I expected early in the season. I figured they might struggle the first half. But not happening. Um, but the offense has been worse than I expected. So it's kind of traded each other off here. Uh, Schedule-wise, win-loss-wise, I haven't changed my mind. But, yeah, the defenses look better. The offenses look worse. Ronan, anything for you on that? I'm in just about the same boat. Um, I expected kind of – I wouldn't say inconsistency from Derek Carr, but it, we've seen Derek Carr – throughout his career and you know through the first two weeks this isn't really a surprise so I, I think this is kind of on par and then I expected a, a pretty solid defense uh from New Orleans so th- this isn't anything you know truly shocking um but honestly I would say that they're playing better than I anticipated all right shall we uh take a take a quick little break um from reacting to the Monday night games Maybe hear a couple ads. I don't know. Maybe hear about some other box score network uh, podcasts. I think that'd be pretty fun. And then we can uh, hit some news and injuries of the week for the listeners. How's that sound, guys? Absolutely. Hey, I'm Connor. I'm Billy. And I'm Austin. And we're the host of the Tricky Takes podcast presented by the Box Score Network. We talk about all things sports ranging from golf, baseball, football, NBA, and all college sports come give us a listen and make sure you follow us over on twitter at tricky takes and that's tricky with two eyes what's up everyone i'm here to tell you about the simon short podcast every thursday i deep dive topics related to the nfl pro hoops pop culture and more be sure to subscribe to the simon short podcast on apple spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, let's get into a little bit of news here tonight. Patrick Mahomes' contract was reworked to basically, let's just say there's a lot of Brinks trucks that are going to be rolling into his front yard or backyard or wherever he allows them to go these days. <laughs> he gets to tell them where to go, I'm sure, um, over the next uh, probably four seasons is really what it's looking like. We won't get too deep into the numbers tonight, but just safe to say They've reworked the contract, and it's got a whole lot more money in it than it had before and a whole lot more guarantees than it had before. Uh, The Rams uh, allegedly are listening to trade calls for running back Cam Akers, which I'm hoping somebody good picks him up because he's on my fantasy team. And the Vikings signed offensive lineman Dalton Reisner. Ronan, take it away. I mean, come on now. I'm going to have to jump on the uh, Cam Akers getting shopped by the Rams. Um. I think we heard a, a similar tune last year, so this shouldn't come as too much as a surprise, um, but it is week two, right? And he was listed as the starter going into the season, so this is pretty odd, right? Uh, backup Kyron Williams has basically outperformed him so far this season, or at least he did in week one. Uh, in week one against Seattle, he had, I believe, 22 carries for an average, I, I believe, a 1.3 yards per carry or is it yard per carry i don't know how uh, grammar grammar people let me know uh in the comments but it, it was not great um explosiveness was not there 
everybody was kind of, or at least Rams fans were hoping, hey, you know, he had a nice spur at the end of last year. You know, maybe we can see something similar at the beginning of this year. And then he put up 20 attempts for 20 yards. And, and that, that song kind of ended. Uh, but Kyron Williams seemed to have pretty much taken his role. Um, he was drafted last year late. Simon, uh, one of one of your favorite little uh, routes to go. Can't make uh, your second which, round pick. Yeah, exactly. Ironically enough, or maybe not even at this point, ironically. Yeah, it, it's just kind of the meta at this point. Um, but I don't know what the market will be. It'll probably be a bag of chips and whatever the Rams can really acquire. Um, but I... I would like to hear, because, you know, we, we've talked about these, and we don't have to spend a long time on this, but we've talked about these, you know, higher profile running backs who have been, you know, maybe switching teams or, you know, joining a team. Where could Cam Akers realistically make sense? Uh, Simon, I'll go ahead and start off with you. I know, you know, Baltimore is dealing with some injury history or injury history, injury problems. Uh, Cam Akers is a Florida guy, even though Raheem Mostert will talk about it a little bit later, but he had a pretty good game. I don't know if he would make sense in Miami. What do you think? I mean, it's interesting because we still have some viable veteran running backs that are out on the market right now. Um, my first thought was the Colts, but, you know, they tried a a running back from that draft class not too long ago in Zach Moss, who uh, just came back um, and, and played this past week and. Well, it was fine. had some had some okay production, but that that was my first thought initially. But uh, we we are still waiting to really find out what the Jonathan Taylor situation is going to come out and look like. He posted a video of him running routes. I got Twitter all excited this week, so um, you know that's great. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know <laughs> unless a team is just like looking at the near thirty year old guys and Leonard Fournette and Kareem Hunt who. who didn't go to training camp, weren't in a preseason. And they're like, how do I know they're going to be in shape, be good to go? At least Cam Akers went through a training camp and is a little younger. Sure, we'll throw a six-round pick swap and, and uh, bring him in. But I don't see it resulting in anything all that significant. We saw you know, Cam Akers ha- have his falling outs and falling back ins with Sean McVay and the Rams over the last you know 10 months or so. Um Wherever he ends up, he's going to go and probably be part of a committee, and we probably aren't going to hear all, all that much from him, I, I would expect. What do you What do you think, Ben? I'll, I'll just toss up some quick names, and I'm not even sure I like these, but Browns, uh, Cowboys, and the one I like best, the Vikings. Um, there's a lot of teams to go to if it's for a seventh-round pick. You know, I mean, just, just to contribute. It'll be, you know, again, contributing committee. Ronan, I got to ask you, man. Um, first of all, let me give mad, mad props to Sean McVay, okay? I, I still haven't changed my mind that the Rams are going to all of a sudden turn into, you know, a playoff contender necessarily. But in week one, they kicked around the Seahawks. And in week two, they battled hard toe-to-toe with the 49ers. So hats off to McVay for taking the biggest bunch of nobodies behind five names that everybody knows and actually turning them into what looks like a very, very competitive team, to say the least. So hats off to him for getting his butt back in gear and doing some magic with this stuff. But hit on that for as long as you want. But tell us all about the wide receiver and how to pronounce his name, because we're going to be talking about this guy a lot in the months ahead. Yeah, uh, so shout out to Les Snead as well for – finding a nice little gem in the late rounds of uh, this most recent draft class. Uh, Wide receiver out of BYU, Puka Nakua. Um, He's about six feet, two inches tall. 
He's not necessarily the fastest, but guys, it's basically, and I don't want to, you know, say it's it's Cooper Cup, but it's basically Cooper Cup. Um, yeah. just in terms of willing blocker, good route runner, uh, just willing to line up just about anywhere on the field. Um, it, it's a very nice tool to have um in Puka Nakua, who I believe broke the record for most receptions in the first two games of his career. Um, which is I mean, come on now. That that that's a great start. That is a hey, I just hopped on Madden and made a career mode start to uh, Puka Nakua's career. Um Simon, did did you even had had we heard about Puka Nakua? Because I believe he was injured, right? Uh in the year going into the draft. Or was I it remember I remember his I don't remember when the injury was. There was one in college though, and I just remember his Testing numbers weren't that great, and coming out of BYU, you're not that highly regarded. If listeners will go back and listen to whenever we talked either about the draft or about the Rams offseason, I, I ask you all to go back and listen to all those episodes again. I think it was, I think it was the Rams offseason recap, so go back and find that one. When we read off all the names of the draft picks, and there is a small but confident Voice of Simon Short saying, "I like Puka Nakua. Just, I just like that, and I didn't just edit it in with the with the way I said it just now, but that's in there somewhere because this was one of your classic day three receivers that had all the production and all the talent, all the ability. It just was the matter of how does this translate to the NFL via the athleticism." And when someone like that goes to an offensive mind like a Sean McVay, goes to a quarterback like Matt Stafford, who, whenever he's healthy, is still a top 10 quarterback, you have to keep your eyes on that. And so I've been hearing a lot of, um, you know, when, when listening to the Puka Nakua stuff from a fantasy standpoint, um, people are like, OK, well, when Cooper Cup comes back, what's going to happen? Because, yeah, everyone's calling him the, the Cooper Cup. He's the Robert Woods, man. He He's the Z. He's the zone beater. He kind of finds spaces, whether it's deep or shallow. He blocks like those guys were doing back in their early days together. Um, there's going to be a role for this guy. Puka Naku is here to stay. Um, I, I was trying to do this quickly, but Ronan, that was a good note on the first two games. But I mean, even just his first game was like one of 10 receivers in their first game to receive like 12 plus targets or something like that. Um and on that list, he was like top three in catches and yards in in doing that. So this is real. And I I fell short of having a good take on the Rams for our official is it take episode. But we've been I've been trying to convince you guys, hey, this Rams offense can at least be average. And if you can be at least average to slightly above average, even if your defense is terrible, you can compete and be pretty solid. So um I'm I'm pretty excited, man. This is fun. At least it's fun, and it seems like McVeigh is having fun, and this team is going to continue to battle and compete. And who knows? Maybe they still throw a first-rounder at Brian Burns if the Panthers keep falling apart and they get a little feisty. I love it. I love it. All right, Ben, we got to talk oh, about Patrick Mahomes, man. You, you, you – do you do you want to do any more Rams? Because I, we, I we got to see – I, I know you've got a monologue prepared on Patrick Mahomes. I got to ask Ronan, okay, the king of nicknames, uh, What you can do a lot of stuff with Puka Nakua's nickname potential. I assume it's not Pookie, but, you know, listen, what what's going to be the nickname for Puka Nakua, all right? 
Is it going to be you know, Cooper Cup Junior, the C Cup, the P Cup? I mean, you know, tell me, man. Those are all both great and awful options, Ben. Thank you so much. I'm, you know what? Give me a week to kind of sit on that, let that marinate. You know, maybe come up with a few on my own, um, and, and I'll get back to you on that. But remind me next week, and I will, I will come up with a a nickname for Puka Nakua. If there isn't, Twitter might have already taken care of that though. I haven't even. I mean, other the than like him or Hamothy, I don't know. I'm uh, not sure. I'll search Twitter for nicknames. Everybody wish me luck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk Patrick Mahomes for just a minute. Again, we're not going to dive into the numbers tonight. Feel free to go look them up on Spot Track or Over the Cap. We're just, you know, if you really want to deep dive on that. But uh, to no one's surprise. As the, as the quarterback carousel turns, it was kind of Patrick Mahomes' turn to work his way back up to the top of the ladder in terms of making money. So Patrick Mahomes is now making a lot more than he was. The guarantees are more. And this is not surprising, though. The Chiefs were expected to do this. We didn't know when. I, I, to be honest, I really wish they would take care of this crap in the offseason. To be distracting, to still be doing this in the regular season, not just distracting his fans trying to watch games, but it's got to be a little bit distracting for players you're still be thinking about money when you're trying to play on the field and get ready for, you know, the Jaguars or whoever you're playing that week. So I don't like that. But they did the expected thing here. It's a lot of money. Um, Simon, go ahead and start us off with it here, and then we'll let Rona jump in. Uh, I, I'm still on Puka Nakua nicknames. I found some. Uh, Darian Kendrick, the cornerback for the Rams. I forgot I did see this one after week one. Um, Don Puka Doncic. As a, as a nickname for Puka Nakua, I did see that okay. stick for a little okay. while, week one. Um, so so Puka Doncic is up there. I don't know who this person is, but uh, it was one of the uh, trending tweets about this. Um, his uh, at David Richard. So shout out David Richard. Oh, no, Dave Richard. Anyways, uh, possible nicknames for Puka Nakua, along with Puka Doncic, is Pukachu. Um <laughs> I don't think that one's going to stick. I think Ben likes that one, but I think Puka Doncic is where we're going to go for Puka Nakua. So shout out. There's a lot um, of stuff you can do with that name, man. There's, there's a, a lot. lot. And and by the way, uh, just for uh, biographical accuracy, Puka Nakua, Puka is actually a nickname that his mother gave him when he was a baby. His first name is Makia. I hope I'm saying that right. Makia, maybe Makia. Um, wow. But yeah. anyways, so Pat, now real things again, Patrick Mahomes and money. Um Ben said not to mention the actual money because it will set him off, but I'm going to do it because that's why I'm on this podcast. Uh, $210.6 million between 2023 and 2026. What I love about the way Mahomes and the Chiefs organized that 10-year contract when it came out like two, three seasons ago, whatever it was, is they were like, hey, man, you're the best player in the NFL. We'll rip this up and redo the whole thing however you want, whenever you want. And that's basically what happened here. I don't even remember what the old contract actually ran through, how much it was um, annually. I knew, I know he was eighth in the league in terms of average annual value once Joe Burrow signed his extension last week. So obviously, if we just do the math, two hundred and ten million divided by four is seventy million a year. Ben has muted me on his end because he's trying not to listen to the numbers right now. Um, but obviously, huge, huge money for Patrick Mahomes by the by the Chiefs. Totally worth it. Totally well regarded. But 
we've seen the Chiefs these two weeks struggle without a couple wide receivers that they might like to have at some point. So I don't know, man. It's a it's a lot of money. It's pretty interesting. I'm all for it. Pay pay your quarterback, figure the rest out later, especially when you have Patrick Mahomes. But uh, Ronan, do you want to hop in on this? What do you think about Patrick Mahomes and the big money deal? Yeah, man, that, that is a lot, a lot of money. Um, it, it makes me think, you know, A, how does this affect what they do in, you know, from 2023 to 2026? Um, how many moves can they make realistically? Um, because I I don't – they have a similar roster, pretty much the same roster from last year, right? So it, you can't really say, oh, they're falling apart, but – you know, come 2024, 2025, I don't know how many of those guys who make the team what it is right now will still be here and how many guys Kansas City will be able to draft to keep the ship afloat, to keep them in this, you know, kind of super team wheelhouse. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Kansas City navigates the salary cap uh, moving forward because that is a lot of money moving around, Ben. Yeah, we've already seen it affect the, the size of Mahomes' contract. You know, that's the reason you trade Tyreek Keel. Um, it's the reason that you struggle to work together a deal with Chris Jones because those guys are sitting at 28 and 29 at the time. And and you're thinking, well, A, if we give this much money to two players, or really it's four or five players that the Chiefs have to pay, then we've got a lot of money tied up at the top, and we kind of think that our starters and our backups are going to suffer because of that because you can only draft so well with limited numbers of picks, right? You start to run out of what you can do that way. And then you also think, well, if my 29 or 30-year-old gets injured, now I've got all that money sitting off on injured reserve, and I got nothing, man. You know, we're kind of seeing that with Chiefs now. So I like it because it kind of makes everything fair and balanced, you know? You know, just because you have Patrick Mahomes doesn't guarantee you a Super Bowl win every year. It does guarantee you're going to win a lot of games, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be in the Super Bowl. So I like it, the, the competitiveness that it creates within the league. But if you're a Chiefs fan, Chiefs front office guy, you know that, hey, we're pushing a snowball up a hill here financially. So we got to be really smart scheme-wise, got to be really part, uh, smart developmental-wise, got to be really smart drafting-wise. And I would really love to see them get a little more serious about drafting good wide receivers. It's all fine and dandy to pull in Kadarius Tony and to pull in second-round draft picks because sometimes they work, but so far they haven't. So I would love to see them get a little bit more aggressive in the draft over the next couple of seasons and try to find Mahomes somebody like what was available in the last two drafts at the top end of the draft, like a Chris Olave or like a Garrett Wilson. Sometimes it's worth it to trade up to get those kind of guys and have that guy for Mahomes to throw to for five years. It could really, really pay off big. We'll see what they do, but that would be worth looking into. Simon. Yeah, uh, to, to kind of wrap up on this, how Kansas City has built this team up uh, and tried to extend this Super Bowl window going into Patrick Mahomes' uh, fir first half of this big money deal and now what they'll have to do here in the second half. I think we talked about this plenty during the playoff run last year, but this is a I think this is a good young defense, and Chris Jones probably is not going to be on this team next year. Um but look at look at this roster, what they have in the defensive backfield. Legarius Sneed, um, Joshua Williams, Trent McDuffie, Brian Cook. Um, who was the uh, who was the other guy last year? He's not playing much this year. But anyways, uh, oh, Jalen Watson, 
Um, so they have young DBs, Leo Chanel, Willie Gay, uh, Nick Bolton, young, good linebackers, uh, Mike Dana, and uh, let's see, where's my other guy, George Karloftis. So they've been building up and building up and building up young, good defensive players. Nobody that's a Chris Jones, but they've been, okay, they're, they've been planning for this, right? They've been working their way into what do we do here on the defensive end? Let's fill this room out. And now, like Ben said, all they have to do, all quote unquote, all they have to do is find a handful of good wide receivers, right? And they have tried to their credit, Sky Moore and Rasheed Rice, two day two picks each of the last two years. It, obviously, still TBD on if either are going to work out. Sky Moore, we're starting to feel like maybe not awkward that he went right in that range with George uh, George Pickens. That's tough. Um, but they also have Justin Ross, who uh, is somebody that I I'm still pretty high on. So. I, that's that's their next effort, right? It's okay. Let's let's hit the pass catchers. We have a running back. We rebuilt the offensive line. That was two years ago. Um, we have a good a young emerging defense with one of the best defensive coordinators. I think Ben's right. If they can just kind of focus on that receiver, yeah, they'll have they'll have to do this repeatedly. It's a cycle. They'll have to. They're not going to be able to keep all those defensive players. They won't be able to keep every wide receiver they draft. But for Patrick Mahomes, I I, I think this is definitely the right move. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add one quick thing here before, unless Ronald wants to jump in after I'm done. Um, one reason that Brady and the Patriots got by with doing things the way they did for so long, well, two reasons. Brady was willing to take a pay cut, right, every single season. He was paid less than he was worth. Mahomes really, I mean, you could you could argue that he's getting paid a little bit less, but not much. He's he's making bank and has been. So Yeah, now, you know, he, now he's all right. Now he's all right. Yeah, well, he was making bank before because even everybody said, well, he was underpaid, but he, he was, it was the biggest contract ever at the time he signed it. We all knew in two years it was going to be, you know, have degenerated, but still. So that's part of it. But also the receivers, the quote-unquote no-name receivers that Brady had to throw to, they were often crafted specifically for that offense and for, for Brady. It was slot receivers who were incredibly precise at the ends and the outs, and then it was uh, tight ends who were incredibly good at what they did. So the Chiefs, if, if they're going to go kind of this, this, this other route, this cheap and expensive route, they need to get guys who fit the offense better and can do more specific things, not, not just generic, hey, I hope they pan out kind of guys, but specifically craft it. They need to do more of that. All right, Ronan, anything? I think you uh, – I completely agree. It, with Mahomes' back contract, right, you're going to have to, you know, kind of work around that because you're not going to be able to find another Tyree kill most likely. Um, it's just slim pickings in terms of wide receivers unless you're willing to pay that price, um, whether that be, you know, a high pick. You know, I'd, I'd love to see a world, Ben, you were talking about, you know, moving up. I'd love to see a world where the Chiefs move up for Marvin Harrison Jr. That would just be absolutely – wouldn't that just be absolutely disgusting? Ronan's still playing Madden right now. He talked about I his am. career mode. Yes. Yes. And see, that would be expensive, but I would encourage that. I would applaud that because that aggressiveness – and again, could Harrison get injured? Could he not pan out? Sure. But the likelihood is that Harrison's going to be very good for a very long time. And with Mahomes, they would be almost unstoppable in terms of that relationship. I, I absolutely love it. It would be a risk worth taking to me. So, all right. right, I'm going to rattle off a bunch of injuries, and then I'll just let you guys pick where you want to go. Lions, safety, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Looks like maybe a torn pet, possibly out for the year. Running back, David Montgomery, thigh. Edge, James Houston, fractured ankle, six to eight weeks. 
Giants running back Saquon Barkley, another injury, sprained ankle, looks like maybe three weeks, four weeks, we'll see, always to be determined with him. Steelers uh, wide receiver Deontay Johnson to the injured reserve with a hamstring. Dolphins wide receiver Jalen Waddell, Raiders wide receiver Devontae Adams, Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson, all in concussion protocol. Most of the nation saw the hit on Anthony Richardson that got him out of the game uh, on, on Sunday. Eagles defensive back Devontae Maddox, torn peck, out indefinitely, potentially, probably all the season. And Packers offensive lineman Elton Jenkins, MCL sprain. Simon, go ahead and kick us off. All right, well, you know where I'm going to start, guys. Let's hit uh, Elton Jenkins real quick. I haven't seen anything on a timetable. MCL sprain never is good, though. Um, Elton Jenkins is a guy that has dealt with a few injuries in the past, but nothing uh, super extreme. So hopefully he's going to be back sooner rather than later. Luckily, the Packers always seem to have good depth on the offensive line. Uh, Royce Newman came in at left guard, and he's totally viable for a couple of weeks. But I also put this in because I wanted to talk about David Bakhtihari, the left tackle, who did not play in week two versus the Falcons, but he did play in their week one game. Um, and interesting kind of spin on this. David Bakhtiari uh, very famously dealt with a bunch of knee injuries over the last handful of seasons. When Aaron Rodgers went down last Monday, he tweeted out once again that the NFL needs to get rid of turf fields. The Packers were playing on a turf field against the Falcons in week two. He did not play. Head coach Matt LaFleur was asked about it, uh, and LaFleur basically just kind of shooed away the question, which was related to, is Bakhtiari just going to sit out turf games? Didn't give a straight answer. Seemed pretty frustrated. Seems like Bakhtiari has just decided he's not going to play turf games anymore, which by our very quick count before we recorded, because you know we talked about this before recording, is it going to be about half the games now in place of Bakhtiari week two? Rashid Walker started at left tackle with Yash Nyman rotating in some to both viable players to, to play that role, even if it's for the whole season. So this backers O line is getting tested. It's very interesting, but I still think it's going to be a very, very good one. Ben, any, anything on, on that O line move for you? It, to, to me, Bakhtiari builds that line. I, I, I know, listen, the line should be fine, but there's a difference between being fine and being good enough to actually push people around and keep Jordan Love pass protected against good defenses. Like, you know, like we saw with uh, Bryce Young tonight against that Saints defense, it's a big difference. And so for me, if Bakhtiari is missing a whole bunch of games, that's going to be a big problem for the Packers. I, I, I'm not comfortable with that at all if that's what's going to happen. So, I, again, do I think they'll just fall apart? No, it, it's the Packers' offensive lines. They'll be fine. But again, if you're actually looking to do something particular or special or get an advantage there, I really think Bakhtiari needs to be be a part of that. All, All right, right, Ronan, anything on the injuries on this injury or anything else, man? Yeah, man, the, the Lions getting bit by the injury bug. The injury bug made its way down to Detroit or up, depending on where it was at originally. Uh, David Montgomery going down with a thigh injury. Edge James Houston with a fractured ankle who – Houston had a really good season last year, uh, kind of a small sample size, but really made the most of it. He'll be out six to eight weeks. That's a pretty tough blow for that pass rush. And then, man, uh, probably one of the worst one. Well, I have my opinion, probably the worst one. C.J. Gardner-Johnson feared to have torn a peck. Um, he signed that prove-it deal, one-year deal this offseason uh, after not getting extended by Philly. 
then goes to Detroit, kind of becomes a fan favorite, gets everybody to buy the blue ski masks for the first home game of the year. Uh, and then, unfortunately, it looks like his season might be wrapped up. Um, ben, not 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 a good time for the Lions. And then on the other side, uh, Giants, Saquon Barkley, another guy who signed a one-year deal, uh, kind of like a proven, I'm going to try to prove it and get my, all of the money I can next year. Sprained ankle, expected to miss three weeks, though. It looked a little bit worse. Um, he threw his helmet. Everybody was kind of holding their breath, especially fantasy owners. Well, what's going on here? But luckily, uh, it, I think it's just going to be three weeks. Hopefully, we won't even have to go on IR, Ben. Yeah, you know, the, you mentioned the one that I really wanted to talk about. The only injury I really wanted to focus on for, for me was the Gardner-Johnson injury to the Lions. No, the, the Lions are still going to be fine. They're going to compete. They're going to win their fair share of games. But they, they still need some breaks. They're not so good that they can't. And, and, and what I really liked about Gardner-Johnson, we talked last week about how that secondary just looked more mature and just looked like there were fewer communication breakdowns. And then we talked about how Gardner-Johnson kind of looked like he was everywhere, which is how he looked for the Eagles last year. And he was on a very good Eagles defense. And, you know, listen, I don't think Gardner-Johnson is, is the be-all, end-all at safety. But to have a guy like that back there bringing maturity, cutting down the communication breakdowns, and being everywhere, this is a Lions secondary that has been bad for years. They have tried to address it. It has been awful. It was bad last year in the first half of the season. Um, and so, to me, that's the really big one. That's the tough one right there. That's the one that's going to be hard to get past. Um they got a chance. They'll still be fine. They'll still be competing. But that was what was kind of going to help their the back end of their defense. That's the one that's really bothering me. Simon, anything else here on the injuries? I will say for the Lions, because, um, yeah, that, that that's the other big one. All the guys with concussion protocol, we'll just have to wait and see kind of what happens. Uh, a few of them should be back for next week, I assume. But, yeah, for the Lions, I mean, Gardner Johnson played over – 98.5% of the snaps over the first two games for them. So he was obviously going to be a huge linchpin for them all season long. Now, what does this mean from here for the Lions? How do they kind of recover from that? Does Brian Branch take a, a, a bigger role? He was playing about 68% of the snaps. He was in a nickel as the nickel corner, but clearly a, a bit of an elevated role in, in terms of that. Does he just start playing? Basically, all the snaps, do they go back to someone like a Tracy Walker, who's a vet, or Will Harris, who I believe both have been on the team for a couple of years? So they have they have options. They have veterans. Now, they moved on from those guys being big snap guys for a reason, obviously. But with the other elevations of the outside corners in Cam Sutton and um, when, when uh, Emmanuel Mosley comes back – you would think like, okay, they can kind of take a slight hit at safety, but Gardner Johnson was uh, similarly to Jamal Williams last year, just like a great cultural fit for that, for that team, that locker room. Um, so for a team that's trying to take it to the next level and really compete, yeah, that's going to be a tough blow, but I think they have the depth um, and, and the horses on that defense to sustain and still be pretty good. But what is the ceiling? And when it comes to key games and playoff matchups, like, not having that guy back there, you know, what What could that do? So that that will be tough, but Montgomery and Houston should be back during the season. Um, and, and then just to kind of echo on, on Saquon, this sounds like it's the best case scenario for the injury that he had. Uh, some people were wondering season, some people were wondering IR long-term. Um, if he's only going to miss a handful of weeks here, 
for this Giants offense that 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 is a really good sign, Ben. Yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you, and, and we'll see. But um, uh, that we were seeing a ton of injuries here. We didn't expect it any different um, here early in the season. I I even have a thought. I'll throw it out really quick. Um, we know the off-season training programs are not as rigorous, not as tough as they used to be. And that's a good thing in terms of players not having to do as much as they used to do in the off-season. But it does feel like, and I ha- I've done no analytics on this at all, it does feel like we're, we've over the past three seasons, we've seen more and more early-season injuries where guys are done for the year. And I mean done. And so the idea in my head that's rattling around is when you go in a sport like the NFL – from kind of, and again, they're not taking it easy in training camp, but when you go from kind of working your way through a, a, a softer training camp to what these guys used to do, and you go right into NFL competition, which is faster than it's ever been, and still pretty rough and physical, it, it's it's asking a lot for the human body to go from, from zero to 60 that quickly. And I wonder if it's not contributing. We'll see over the next few years if that's uh, anything that uh, can statistically be proven or that they look into to change and in any way. Hello, everybody. Brandon Tim here telling you all to listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a podcast giving you the insights to help you win your fantasy football leagues. Together, we will look at everything fantasy football, from the platforms we use to navigating weekly player projections. Listen to the Fantasy Football Franchise, a Fox Score Network podcast. We'll see you at the next episode. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Parker. And I'm Robert Zenvire, and we are the Odds on Favorite, presented by Boxcore Network. Every week, we analyze NFL point spreads, over-unders, props, futures, and much more. Follow us on Twitter, at Odds on Favorite, and listen on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Alright, um, I think that's enough for injuries tonight. Let's go to... Thursday night football, the Eagles beat the Vikings 34-28. to Ronan, I'll give you first shot. Man, okay. I put out a tweet. I don't know if it was during or after the game. Um, but shout out to my guy, DeAndre Swift. Oh, my God, did he look good. Um, 28 carries, a buck 75 on the ground and a touchdown. Um, in Detroit, he he was a big game or big game player, right? Um, he wasn't necessarily your efficient, hey, uh, get me five yards every carry kind of guy, but he, he's that home run kind of hitter or runner. Um, and, and then on Thursday, he, he looked completely different. It was like Le'Veon Bell, Simon, uh, in, in the backfield, just kind of like waiting, waiting. All right, I, I think I'm going to go now. He looked patient. He looked effective. He looked explosive, and he looked really, really good behind that Eagles offensive line. Um, He fell out of graces in Detroit, right? So it's a nice comeback story. It'll be interesting to see how much will he keep being used like this. You have 28 carries. That's a lot. That's a lot of carries for any running back, let alone a guy for – I thought it was going to be a by-committee type of deal in Philly. So DeAndre Swift was honestly the the main thing that stood out to me in that game just because he was lighting it up all over the field, Ben. He he was. Good gosh. I, and I heard a number of people. I wasn't one of them necessarily, but I heard a number of people say, hey, Swift to the, to the Eagles is going to be a big deal because of his running style. And, and it was. Now, 
we saw what looked like Flores had a pretty good defensive game plan put together until the Eagles figured out, hey, we can just keep handing the ball off to Swift and just bust the defensive game plan all to pieces. We did see Flores, you know, had a had a game plan that would limit the Philadelphia receivers and and Jalen Hurts, and and Hurts was struggling with that to some degree, but it didn't matter. The Eagles, like you said, with that offensive line, they can run the football against anybody whether it's Swift or not, but certainly Swift was the guy who was just, oh, my gosh, chewing it up on Thursday night, Simon. Yeah, I mean, the the holes were incredible, by the way. Uh, just want to make sure that is reminded because next week when DeAndre Swift gets, I don't know, seven <laughs> carries for you know 22 yards because Kenny Gainwell is back and, and having a great game, just – Running backs don't matter. Anyways, um, no, shout out to Andrew Swift. That, that is great. It's a great moment, and, and I think just continues to highlight how many weapons the Eagles have that when their starting running back goes down, because like Ronan said, we thought it was going to be a committee again this season, but Gainwell seemed to have a pretty strong hold on the position through training camp and preseason, so it seems like they want to have this one back kind of uh, scenario. You know, Swift, 28 carries. Boston Scott had five. Rashad Penny had three. Um, and yeah, the Vikings took away the pass game and took away the deep ball and the Eagles were totally, totally fine to handle that. Um, one thing I, I saw on Eagles Twitter a, a lot that the Eagles fans didn't like the play calling a lot. They thought it was pretty bland, especially from the pass standpoint. Um, but I did like something that OC new OC Brian Johnson did during the game, which was, uh, the, the Vikings had a backup safety go in. At one point, I think it was the second quarter. It was when Devonta Smith had his big, uh, one of his big deep catches down the sideline. Um, and it was like that very next play, like the recognition to see that a backup just came in cold off the bench and to go right at him is something that a veteran play caller does, a veteran quarterback does. So it's nice to see Hertz in his third year as a full-time starter, right? Second year as a full-time starter. Um and Brian Johnson as a first-time OC, first-time play caller, really, in the NFL to, to have that recognition. I think the fun stuff, I think the creative stuff will come. Um, but when the Vikings played as well as they did defensively, which is weird to say for a team that gave up 34 points, um, to to have that kind of moment of, okay, I'm going to take what the defense is giving me, but ooh, when, when I have a, the opportunity to do something extra, I'm going to take it. I did really like that. I think that will bode well for the Eagles' offense moving forward, Ben. Yeah, it is important to note that Hertz didn't have to perform. He was fine, wasn't any problems, but Hertz didn't have to because the Eagles have that offensive line that they can run the football with, and they've got guys that they can run the football with. I mean, it's it's just not a problem for the Eagles. They can flex either way, and you know they may run into a defense that can give them problems, but that really wasn't it wasn't Thursday night because they could run the football so easily. When it comes to the Vikings side, the Vikings at times on Thursday night looked fantastic. J uh, Justin Jefferson is, is almost unstoppable. Mm -hmm. 13 targets, 11 of those were completed 159 yards. There are times where they look like they can literally just throw the ball up to him and he will rip it away from anybody that's guarding him. And Kirk cousins at times looked very impressive too, moving the ball around to different people, but good gosh, the mistakes by the Vikings just repeatedly, repeatedly stupid stuff that typically teams like the Eagles and the 49ers don't do. And it's one of the big differences. And, and then I'll add a layer to that. You know, people kept uh, talking about how good Jalen Carter's been the first couple of weeks for the Eagles. 
He has, but it's not been the way people often think of guys. He's not necessarily breaking through and getting sacks, but he's getting double teamed as a rookie repeatedly, and he's pushing that offensive line backward. And on Thursday night, Kirk Cousins was throwing off his back foot most of the night because of it. He couldn't move up in the pocket because Jalen Carter <laughs> was pushing the offensive line back with a double team. And it was just something else that would help the Eagles defense. So a good start here for Jalen Carter. Ronan? Yeah, Ben, you mentioned uh, Kirk Cousins and how he looked, you know, 31 for 31 of 44, 364 yards, four touchdowns. Usually that's a winning stat line. And then you look a little bit farther down and you see the four fumbles and the 10 points that the Eagles scored off of those turnovers. And then you kind of start connecting the dots, man. If this Vikings team can put it together, and I know that's such a cliche thing. Oh, well, if they can figure it out and not do what they did, they'll win. If they can just limit, even just limit those stupid mistakes, those stupid turnovers, uh, this is a team that can, you know, do something similar to what they did last year. You know, go 12, 13 wins. Um, yeah. But, you know, here they are, 0-2 uh, now to start the season. Yeah, quick note before I kick it to Simon. Next week, Vikings and Chargers, both 0-2. Somebody's going to end up 0-3 coming out of that. I really don't feel like 0-2 is as big a deal as it used to be because teams can get so hot and do so many different things. But 0-3 is a pretty big deal. Simon? Yeah, and the all the stats uh, on when teams start 0-2, right, you have to keep in mind that 90% of that data is from a 16-game season and not a 17-game season, so it, it is a little different. Um, so that's a great point, Ben. I will say for the Eagles' defense, because, yeah, that Vikings offense w was money and and did look really, really great at a bunch of great times. You guys basically hit all of my notes. Um, but I will say for the Eagles' defense, one thing I wanted to see from them this year was that depth, especially on the defense. They had a couple pieces leave. Um, they, they invested in a couple different areas of the team, but they had some backup corners that played and, and played pretty well, despite the fact that, yeah, they had over 300 yards in the air, but Josh Job played hundred percent of the snaps. He especially looked good against the run, which is pretty important, especially when you're projecting ahead to playoff football. Um, James Bradbury was out this week. I think he was in concussion protocol, but, uh, Job was in his place. Um, and then another backup corner was in, who was the other one? Oh, Mario Goodwitch. Goodrich was in he might have been the replacement for Avante Maddox and the nickel so um th those guys did play well it was nice to see some unfamiliar faces kind of rotate in for Philly and, and have some good moments but for the Vikings yeah they need to clean up that that extra stuff it was fun seeing the Brian Flores defense of yeah they're going to give up some big plays but they're also just going to create and it's just so different from what this defense was last season. So that was a ton of fun. And this offensive line is banged up. You know, we mentioned it briefly in the news, but Dalton Reisner is coming in. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. Uh, if Christian Darisol continues to be hurt, you know, Ezra Cleveland, the left guard, and I think Reisner even played um, some of this, but both guys play tackle in college. Uh, Ole Udo went out of the game. He was Darisol's replacement and he got hurt during the game, and he, I think, is out for an extended period of time, if not the season as well. Um, so do Reisner or Ezra Cleveland kick out the tackle, and the other one's playing left guard. Um, they're, they have a backup center in right now, and you could feel that pressure for Kirk Cousins, and he still delivered a heck of a game. Um, so the Vikings, 
0-2, yeah, 0-3 feels like it would be curtains for either of those teams. Um, and two teams that feel like spiritually are in fairly similar places uh, in terms of what you expect to see on, on your TV week to week. Uh, so that'll be a good one next week for sure, Ben. Yeah, and honestly, I actually feel better for, about the Vikings right now because they there are times in the first two weeks where they look good. They could have, in theory, won both games. It's just the mistakes that are killing them. The Chargers just kind of look a little sick right now. We've seen this before from the Chargers. I don't know quite what it is, and, and you know we'll we'll talk about that in weeks to come. But uh, you know we'll we'll see. Uh, they'll be playing some kind of a quasi elimination game on on Sunday, um, I believe in Minnesota. All right, one more game really quick: uh, the Dolphins and the Patriots. Uh, Simon, I'll let you start this one. Dolphins win it twenty four to seventeen in uh, somewhat of a defensive performance, but pretty interesting game too. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. Um, I'll, I'll say I, I want to start with the Patriots side because Bill Belichick did Bill Belichick things. He took away Tyreek Hill, first and foremost, five catches for 40 yards and a touchdown for Hill. Um, even Jalen Waddle was uh, limited in certain ways before he got hurt, but he broke off a couple of key plays for sure. Christian Gonzalez, man, ton of fun. I mean, the athleticism on that interception is just like why he was a first-round pick, why he probably should have been a top-10 pick. Um, I won't get into why maybe the Steelers should have taken him at 14 instead of trading. Anyways, um, it, it was such a perfect encapsulation of what we expected from this team, though, on both sides of the ball. This defense was great. They had some athleticism over the last couple of years. They're flying around, making a bunch of plays. The offense looks organized. It looks clean. It looks like a normal NFL offense. Uh, but just does not have the horses to keep up with an offense like the Miami Dolphins. And you might say 24 to 17, you don't have much to keep up with, right? That's pretty low scoring by the Dolphins standards, but it just never really felt like New England was going to catch up. Even when they did, even when they got within a score, you're like, okay, the Dolphins can just kind of turn on the Jets whenever they want and, and go get go get some points here. Um, so... A lot of, and you could see it in the play calling with the Patriots, right? What they believe their keys to winning are a lot of runs on third down, a lot of sending Ramondre Stevenson just like up the middle, not doing a bunch of stuff to the outside, not trying to create a bunch of splash plays. And you could just kind of feel they know that, right? They know they have to win with their defense. They know they have to win just by being sound with the football. Um, so a, a really good encapsulation, I think, of what we think of and thought of when we were thinking about the Patriots going into this season, Ben. Yeah, and I still don't know how to feel about the Patriots because you're right. There were so many things I liked, starting with that defense, Christian Gonzalez. I mean, but everybody on that defense contributing and looking pretty sharp, and we, we figured that would be the case. And then on offense, they look a little more organized. And then Bill Belichick looks like he's back to his Belichickian ways with, with that, uh, uh, I think it was the blocked punt, the blocked field goal, and then the affected field goal. Am I am I thinking about the right game there? Yeah, yep, it's yep, been so yep. football this weekend, yeah. So, you know, I like all that, and yet you mentioned it. The horses just aren't there on offense. I mean, they're just not. Uh, even an improved Mac Jones or a efficient Mac Jones, I guess I'll put it that way. You know, it felt like and Miami was in control of this game for most of this game. And even when the game was close, you're still like, well, you know, Dolphins make one big play to heal or waddle, and it's over. I mean, you know, it's kind of how you felt. So now that the Patriots are 0-2, uh, you're like, well, you know, even if they are competitive this year, they got a long ways to go to get in the playoffs, man. So it, 
it still doesn't feel like I've got the Patriots in the playoffs, which is kind of where we had them in the offseason. It's like, hey, they can be, look better and still not make the playoffs. So um, that's kind of where I'm at on the Patriots, Ron. Uh, I'm right there with you on the Patriots. To go you know, on the Miami side of the defense, um, they, they came to play, man. Um, four sacks. Uh, David Long Jr., Bradley Chubb, Christian Wilkins, and Andrew Van Ginkle all re- uh, recorded a sack. And the eight quarterback hits. Um, Javon Holland had 11 tackles, uh, six solo, a TFL, and a pass deflection. There were a lot of guys flying around that field for Miami who was without, you know, their, their star cornerback, Jalen Ramsey. So, you know, if he can come back late in this season, this defense, man, it, it's it's shaping up to be – Pretty pretty legit, um, you know. Come the bouts with you know Buffalo and such, it's going to be interesting how how that bows, Simon. Yeah, and they didn't even have Jalen Phillips, uh, the yep. young defensive end. He was a late scratch as well. So uh, this defense is just it's deep, man. And, and Vic Fangio is scheming it up great. Um, to flip over to the offensive side of the ball for Miami, they were able to find a way to wear down and limit the Patriots defense and especially that defensive front with their run game. And we talked about this going into the season, what was going to be their plan B to that great passing game that they created last season between Tua, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. And could they be consistent on the ground? We saw it for what Ben, we we talked about a lot, like three or four weeks in a row, they had a solid run game and then it kind of just fell off. Um, they were able to bring it back behind Raheem Mostert. Rona mentioned it earlier, 18 carries, 121 yards, two touchdowns. And it's that outside zone run. And I think something I didn't give enough credence to for Mike McDaniel is, Hey, where'd he come from? San Francisco. Okay. What is their MO been, uh, under Shanahan outside zone run schemes? Okay. How do they create that fast guys and offensive linemen that just know what they have to do to execute? You don't necessarily need the best offensive lineman to do that, you know, other than Trent Williams, which, you know, that really helps. The 49ers, the talent one through five on their offensive line is never anything we're blown away by. Shanahan just knows what guys fit his system, which normally we talk about, like we said for the Chiefs earlier, receivers or maybe defensive players. O-line's the same way. You don't have to be the most talented offensive lineman to run this kind of system it's zeros and ones it's okay we're going this way hit a person in this space and get in the way and and run and move right and if you're the dolphins and you know your weak side is austin jackson at right tackle well guess what just run to the left a bunch and it'll probably work out and that's what they did um even though it wasn't even to armstead at left tackle it was some guy who i sent a screenshot to ben after week one i was like this was the dolphins offensive line someone named jamie lamb or something i don't i don't even know who their starters are um Isaiah Wynn is playing left guard. I thought he was going to play right tackle. It's a whole, it's a whole thing there. But Mike McDaniel specifically, when he came up under Shanahan, was the run game coordinator. He loves this stuff. He loves how to utilize these offensive linemen to create running lanes. And when you do that against this Patriots front, who's built with this big, strong, hulking defensive line, you just chip away, you chip away, you chip away, you wear them down, and eventually you're going to be able to pop off five, six, seven-yard runs whenever you want, and that's what they did, Ben. It's incredibly incredibly impressive, and, you know, it reminds me, this is where it all came from, the Denver Broncos in the 1990s doing a lot of that zone blocking stuff, 
and leading to just all kinds of wins and victories and a strong running game and, you know, helped Elway get his, you know, his Super Bowls finally and all that good stuff. Who was the know, coach? Who was the coach? Yeah, it was Shanahan, right. That's where it all kind of stems from. And I can't remember the offensive line coach at the time who really kind of masterminded a lot of that, unfortunately. But listen, I don't think Mike McDaniel wants to run the football much. I, I just don't. I get the impression that he wants the ball into his hands. And, you know, as worried as I am about that offensive line, they mentioned it on the broadcast on Sunday night, um, how quickly the Dolphins just get rid of the football. So Tua has been taught and is very good at just make a decision and get rid of the ball. Do not try to hang on to it for four, four and a half seconds and get a play downfield. You look and see if you got your go guy downfield, whether it's Waddle or, or, or Tyreek Hill. If it's not there, you bump it off after two to ha- two and a half to three seconds. That's it. Every single play. And you can really see that, which limits how good the offensive line has to be. And then if you get any running game at all, which they did against the good Patriots defense, now you can do all kinds of play action and all kinds of things like that. So really, really love what the Dolphins are doing here. I just hope they all stay healthy enough to keep it going because that seems to be the only thing that might derail the season. They, they can be really good. They are really good. I, I shouldn't say they can be. They are really good uh, right now. Ronan, any, anything else on this game? Ben, that, that was a really good point. Um, the Patriots only got or recorded two quarterback hits on Tua. Um, so you're right. He was just getting it out as soon as possible. And you know, with the way that this offense is built, it, it's honestly beautiful because you, know, you got uh, McDaniel, who is kind of a, a run first kind of minded guy. You, ben, like you said, with the current situation, maybe he doesn't want to run first now. But, you know, coming up, that's kind of how we uh, – he was learning and uh, you know, they can beat you that way, right? 170 or 145 yards, I believe on the ground as a team uh, on Monday or Sunday, excuse me. And, and then, Oh, they can also throw it to one of their two track athletes who will just make your entire defense miss and uh, you know, waltz into the end zone. So it, it's just a really, really beautifully constructed offense, but it is. I, I'm loving what the Dolphins are doing. I genuinely hope that they have a just a fantastic season. It's fun to watch. And the Dolphins, you know, Dolphins fans, Dolphins franchise, you know, kind of has been suffering for a long time without winning a whole lot. So, all right, uh, that's all I got. I think Ronan's kind of done. Simon, you wrap us up and we will shut this thing down. Man. Yeah, I was I was a uh, deep diving pro football reference trying to find the the Broncos offensive line coach back in the 90s. Can't can't see a name. But a uh, shout out Ed Donatel was the secondary coach back to, back in those days and he was the defensive coordinator. I was just bad mouthing for from the Vikings last season. So um Ed, I know you're listening man. Uh, I apologize. Good 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 on by you. Uh, all right, everybody, this has been the Stat Sheet Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, make sure you are listening to our other podcast over at Box Score Network. Um, we really appreciate you. We will be back next week to dive into all big games, news, and updates for you uh, on the NFL season week three. So uh, thank you all so much, and have a good night.